As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Unseen and Chapman podcast on The Athletic. As usual, we'll bring you exclusive insight and stories from our team of writers. No David this week, but he's left a comprehensive handover note for Laurie Whitwell, who's taking care of his column this week. And Laurie will join us to go through stories, including the effect that Edison Cavani has already had on Manchester United since joining. Our Manchester City writer, Sam Lee, will discuss the future of Pep Guardiola, whose contract expires in the summer. And we'll cross to Spain as well to talk to the Athletics La Liga journalist Dermot Corrigan. He'll give us reactions from inside both Barcelona and Real Madrid after this weekend's El Clasico. To read all the articles we discuss on today's podcast in full, simply head to www.theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman to sign up for just £1 a month. So let's start with Laurie Whitwell then. The Athletics United writer is with us. David uh, is away this week, so you've written his column. Um, <laughs> is, it, is, this your, is this your first attempt at a coup? It's a, it's a massive uh, land grab. I got the idea from uh, Project Big Picture and thought, whilst... <laughs> Uh, there's an opportunity strike, so David's having a holiday, a well-earned holiday. Do you need 14 of the other athletic writers to support you, <laughs> and then and then you'll be all right? I think I might need a bit more than that. Probably, you? you know, a few hundred thousand subs to uh, to back me in my attempt. But uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I gave it a go. Who who'd be difficult to win over? Do you think Culkin would be difficult to win over? Culkin, well, yeah, yeah, no, I actually spoke to him yesterday because he was on his way down to uh, to Molyneux for the Newcastle game. Uh, so I've, I've actually started, you know, trying to bring him round to my way of thinking. It's it's just little by little, but hopefully, you know, by the by the time that David comes back, I'll, I'll get a few on my side. Best to get him before he went to the Newcastle game at Wolves rather than after when he must have been <laughs> miserable as anything, having sat through that nonsense. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, let, should we talk United first of all? Then we don't even need to mention the the other team that David always mentions. Let, let's just talk United first. Great. Then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I've been hearing uh, from other people connected to the club how impressed they have been with Edison Cavani in training. And you, you've spoken about this. 
Yeah, that's great that we've heard the same thing then, Chappers, because yeah. I presume we're speaking to different people. But um, yeah, no, he's he, he, it's by all accounts, he's, he's done really well this week. I wasn't sure, because um, I asked Ole Gunnar Solskjaer about him in the pre-match press conference, and he was talking about how particular he is with his fitness regime and wanting certain sort of boxes ticked before he was ready to play, because he, he didn't feel he was ready for the Paris Saint-Germain game. So I wondered if that was actually an indication that this guy's a little bit precious. But in reality, what it was, was that, it, yeah, he's... You know, raring to go and has you know, provided a real professional, ultra professional um, sort of you know, component of, of training this week. And yeah, we saw, didn't we, when he came on that run, um, that flick, you know, instinct, sharpness sort of seemed pretty good. Obviously, he needs to get a bit of understanding with his teammates, but the first week has, has gone well by all accounts. Uh, I, this was the message I got hearing some very good things about Cavani finishing, movement in the box, headers, vol- uh, vol- this was before the the game on Saturday hmm. finishing movement in the box headers volleys fitness levels attitude work rate he's come in is really positive and is helping people that's what I'd heard as well and you know I think people you know I have criticised the fact that it was a deadline day signing when he was available all summer but nevertheless he's in the building now and I think that he will be a positive influence for the rest of the season and then longer term United do have um, other options they realise that Cavani's not going to be the answer uh, forever and ever obviously he's got the contract at the moment which is a one plus one year from his point of view they were describing it as a two year deal United is, is a one plus one I'm not sure exactly what the the terms are for that extra year being triggered but United are looking at longer term options because you know ultimately you know Solskjaer the club have got ideas on strengthening the centre forward position um, for, for, a, for a significant length of time Odin Agarlo was a bit of a stopgap Cavani that similar um, sort of profile and the player you know <laughs> no surprise to anyone perhaps that the player that Solskjaer still wants is Erling Haaland he has that relationship with him from Mulder he's you know the, the Norway connection he, he knows the guy um, well and I'm led to believe that Bridges you know, haven't been burnt after the last pursuit, although it did end fractiously sort of between Minorola and, and the club in terms of you know United refusing to meet the uh, release clause that we're led to believe is in the, the deal with Borussia Dortmund, um, sort of 75 million euro release clause that comes into effect in 2022, um, is our understanding at least. Um, and I mean, that, that obviously, you know, therefore puts Haaland potentially on the market in that summer. You know, if clubs did want to try and um, get him out of Dortmund before then there's nothing to stop them from actually bidding you know a bit more than the release clause I suppose that would just be up to negotiation you know whether or not United actually want to engage with Rayola on that particular deal again um, we'll sort of wait and see on that but certainly you know Haaland you know we've seen how well he's done at Dortmund that's no surprise to anybody at United or particularly Solskjaer um, because he obviously knew what his ability was back at Mulder they tracked him at Red Bull Salzburg and you know he was the guy that Solskjaer wanted really um, last January, the January window that Bruno came in. The next bit about United, have we not have we not done this before on on data <laughs> and analysis, and that they were going to revamp it or close to appointing some? I mean, <laughs> this this feels very deja vu. <laughs> yeah, I think possibly we, we yeah D- David did have it in his column I think in January time where it was talked about a uh, sort of group of maybe eight um, analysts that would be hired. This one I don't know if it's a separate thing or, or part of that same uh, movement I mean really it's, it's based on the fact that United are kind of always looking to to add in, in certain areas and but without necessarily knowing exactly what that role is going to entail it sort of you know speaks to what we've heard before about this kind of thing but th- this particular sort of uh, detail 
Adam Crafton was the, the main guy behind this um, information coming in and he's spoken to me about the fact that you know they're looking to they are you know now looking to make a, a sort of hire in the data scientist area in the next sort of month or so it's down to a short list of a few head of football development John Murta is um, sort of proposing uh, a list of candidates to Ed Woodward and Joel Glazer Joel Glazer being very much involved in this because the process started several months ago and they sort of thought should we pause it because of the pandemic and, and he said no let's let's press on so I think the role will be to look at all the kind of you know data that you can get from various different aspects of football so you know uh, recruitment being one of them but also you know performance and medical and, and things like that and see if there's any patterns that can be drawn out and, and whether that can then you know go into informing how United approach things Liverpool have, have done this with you know themselves with uh, Dr Ian Graham who I think you know has a a PhD, you know, outside of football, so it's not necessarily that it would be someone with a football background. It could be somebody who's, you know, worked in big pharma, for example, who knows numbers in a certain way and and can then apply them to football. A bit above my understanding, <laughs> but that's just, that's you know that's where I'm going with. But it wouldn't be Murta that appoints it. This is this is where my weekly cynicism comes in. It wouldn't be Murta that appoints it. It would be Glazer or or Woodward. Because if, yeah. if you look at the if you look at the Liverpool guy you were talking about. I mean, you probably, I don't know whether you know, but it's unlikely that was John W. Henry who appointed him. Wouldn't that have been someone within Michael Edwards' department, for example? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how the Liverpool thing shut down, but certainly for United, I mean, Joe Glazer is, you know, speaks to Ed Woodward on a daily basis. Ed Woodward speaks to John Murta on a daily basis. So, you know, the, the, they'll all be speaking to each other on a very frequent uh, format. And But ultimately, you know, Joel Glazer is the owner of Manchester United, you know, really. I don't, I don't think he would, you know, make this appointment I think he but he wants to be abreast of it so you know he'd probably you know speak to them and, and see what they all felt between them and, and then go for the guy they, they wanted to bring in at that point but yeah I, I I don't think it's him sort of making every single decision at the club and um, you know wanting to drill down into everything but but he will want to be kept abreast of it. Just a final one on United then some unusual arrangements for first team squad members who were involved with United's under 23s in the column. Yeah so this was about um, the yeah, United game versus Everton on Friday night at Lee um, Sports Village which um, had Brandon Williams, Mark Marcus Rojo and Facundo Palistri um, down into Neil Wood's ta- team and um, the fact that because the 23s are not in the same bubble as the first team at Carrington they had to train well they had to arrive separately in, in, in separate cars as opposed to going on the team bus and then they had to also train in uh, change in, in different dressing rooms so Neil Wood did his team talk with the, the usual 23s and then had to come in and do his team talk with the, the three guys from the first team and also be socially distant whilst he did so uh, and then they had to work wait for the team to go out first from the tunnel before they could go out and, and vice versa coming back the way so it might have looked like a little bit of a disjointed performance at times against Everton I mean United ended up winning the game Brandon Williams won a penalty late on and Ethan Galbraith converted it so you know United did win the game but there was some moments I think where people were looking at for example Palistri who's come from you know Penarol for 10 million euro and uh, and sort of thinking you know what's the what, why, why did we buy him what, what's the kind of st- score there but actually you know if he's his debut and he's not been able to even mix with the, um, the under 23s team then you can understand that there's going to be a little bit of time to bed in so it was just a I thought it was quite an unusual thing and we'll, we'll get a few of these I suppose as the season goes that's on. With, ve- that's very odd I mean it yeah. is very odd is it because then they go on the pitch and play with them 
Yeah, I mean, I suppose it was, there was that research, wasn't there, where it suggested that it's, you know, very minimal, the, the chances of actually contracting coronavirus whilst you're playing football. And so they're trying to minimise the, the risk, you know, as much as they can. But it does seem an odd situation. Um, I mean, for example, United played Arsenal the week previous and Arsenal had quite a few first team players play but they've, they're have they apparently in the same bubble um, at London Colney so there's no problem with them mixing you know, before or after right. games um, so it's a sort of specific thing for United or any other clubs that have got separate between the, the academy and the first team. Uh, now also in the column, so a couple of non-United stories, uh, Liverpool are, are all ready to go with their uh, new training ground, which has been a while in, in development, and I think COVID may have delayed it slightly as well. Yes, th- so this was James Pearce's story, who uh, covers Liverpool for us, and uh, really interesting one actually. In that, you know, Liverpool, uh, you know, as you say, we're, we're going to move into this new training base in Kirkby, but coronavirus delayed it, sort of building works and what have you. But um, and they they had a clause written into the contract at Melwood that they'd sold for ten million pounds. That's it's going to become housing, that, but but they could stay there for the rest of the season if you know. The, the situation uh, didn't sort of accelerate uh, Kirkby. It, that's now all sorted, so they can move into Kirkby, and it's just up to Jurgen Klopp really whether or not Liverpool moved in now or waited till the end of the season. And um, he's decided he wants to move in now, according to James Pearce. And the next international break offers the, the perfect opportunity for them. So, uh, so yeah, I suppose midway through the season, a move into a new training ground, a bit unusual, but then again, it seems like a pretty swish uh, training ground yeah. to move into. So I can imagine Klopp wanting to get in there as soon as possible he probably wants to play paddle tennis that's why yes I've just been researching that I didn't is that different well is that different to paddle is that what's the do we know hang on well I'll be honest with you that I haven't researched this so this is (laughs) this is all my fault Uh, but if you have and you can you can uh, you can you can tell me about paddle or paddle well, as far as I've got is, is the Wikipedia page and, and it just says paddle tennis and then underneath, not to be cu- confused with paddle. Uh, so I de- they look similar though on the pictures. We probably should have, I probably wow. should have thought before actually go delving into this that this, you know, I might need to be sure of my facts before um, shooting well, off the, Well, the interesting thing, the interesting thing is uh, the column uh, describes it as paddle. So, P A D L E. So the column says Klopp has also had a paddle tennis court built for his pre-training right. session battles with assistant manager Pep Linders. But That's you have that, you have thrown padel. I, I just saw it on the script. I, I, you know, whoever. <laughs> I just I just say what's on the script, Chappers. <laughs> I mean, far be it for me to say it, but Ornstein would have nailed paddle and padel he would he would have been i know listen well the 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 coup is is gone disastrously week one (laughs) that's the level you've got to you know you've got to try and reach that level uh speaking of ornstein uh even (laughs) though he's on even the arrow yeah (laughs) uh, i've practiced this for a while um he um he can't ever just be on holiday so he has put managed to get one story to you to go in the column Yes, and it's a good one. I mean, it's uh, it's Deli Ali uh, not being in the squad for Tottenham's game at Burnley tonight. So, well, yeah, Monday night. So, um, and it was interesting that Deli tweeted a picture of himself scoring or a video of himself scoring at Burnley last season. So, you know, good memories. I think he, he posted. So clearly, you know, he, he knew the writing was on the wall for this particular game. Then I think, and uh, no, yeah, David, you know, he's supposed to be on holiday. He, he sends across, you know, good good news nugget, and and obviously he's tweeting already so yeah it's an interesting one isn't it with Deli Ali you know he's, he's obviously you know not 
no, not necessarily Jose Mourinho's cup of tea and he's, he seems like he's going to be maybe in and out of the squad on a, on a kind of regular basis. So, But you'll know from a United point of view that this is nothing new. Yes, well, exactly. I think you, you saw, I mean, we've all seen the Amazon documentary, haven't we, where he speaks about, you know, Delhi being a lazy trainer and, you know, gives him a few uh, sharp words. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm led to believe personally that, you know, in, in those episodes, there was some comeback from players, but obviously they didn't make the final edit. So I wonder if, you know, something has gone on that the cameras didn't quite capture. Um, you know, because Delhi Ali's a note his own man, doesn't he? He's a strong individual himself. Yeah, as you say, at United, that, that happened where, you know, players, would be, um, you know, sort of challenged, and and if and if you know, there was some kind of difficulties, you know, they would be. You know, Marino has got no qualms with you know, leaving a player out and and you know using that as a kind of stick to to get the you know get them to, to kind of see his way of, of thinking. But um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you know he's, he's a quality player, Deli Ali. But you know if he's not going to be in the team, you know, away at Burnley, then you sort of wonder what the future will hold in, in January and next summer. Okay, Laurie, we'll leave it there. You've also uh, done a Talk of the Devils podcast that <laughs> looks back at, I mean, I'm trying to sell this, but apparently <laughs> it, it, it looks back at Manchester United-Chelsea. Is there anything else Anything else on it that might sell it a bit more? Well, that's it, yeah. So obviously the game is a <laughs> fundamental uh, aspect to the podcast, but we do talk about uh, Donny van der Beek. Where is he? What's going on there? Dan James, you know, can he uh, re- rediscover form or, or what, you know, what does the, 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 the situation Situation, the future look like Here, for him. Right, here's, one, here's one on Donny van der Beek. Van der Beek mm. Just very quickly, then I don't know what you've you've talked about on the pod. I don't want you to give it all away, but and there's such hoo ha around him at the moment and how he isn't getting in the team. But is it mm. is it any different to what Klopp did with Andy Robertson at the start? Is it any different to what Klopp did with Fabinho at there we the go. start? That, that's the example I used in the podcast. So good to know we're on the same lines. I mean, that, that's that's all it seems to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you know people talk about the forty million pound price tag, but that's just the way of the world at the moment, particularly with the United squad. You know, you've got players. You, know, you had Paul Pogba on the bench in in the same game. You know, ninety million pounds. Um, you know, uh, Juan Mata. You know, cost a, a significant amount of money. Who's been in and out of the team? Nemanja Matic. You know, over thirty million pounds. So I, th- I think forty million. Obviously, it's a hell of a lot of money, but at the same time. For United, they haven't had that quality strength in depth. And you looked at the bench um, against Chelsea and thought, actually, there's quite a few players on there that can change the game in a positive way. And obviously, Solskjaer for that particular game chose Greenwood, Cavani and, and Pogba, you know, three attacking substitutions, really. And and Van der Beek, I think, will, you know, he, he had a plan. I'm sort of giving away too much of the Talk of Devils podcast yeah. here, aren't I? But no. he... he there was a plan there and, and I think, you know, he, he probably would have liked to play more, you know, but equally he understands that it's a, a process. So to sound like Louis van Gaal, um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see him. We'll see him uh, numerous times this season, no doubt. Uh, so Laurie's column uh, is there now on The Athletic. Uh, Talk of the Devils uh, will be out later and his guide to uh, paddle and padel tennis, his 5,000-word uh, article, will be available to read on The Athletic app. What, what, how long do you need? Thursday? Friday? Uh, this it's a big topic so I, I wonder if I might need a bit longer you know okay it's, right. it's ne- it needs serious attention I want to do it justice okay next week then brilliant thanks Laurie <laughs> cheers Jappers <laughs> 
I'm Faker Others and I'm here to tell you about the next big thing. Well, actually, this lot are here to tell you all about the next big thing. I think he can go straight to the top and I think the ceiling with him is so high. I do think he's going to be an England international at some point. He's He really is that good. The question is, do you loan them out or do you keep them in-house? People within Arsenal are really, really rooting for this guy. The next big thing is here to tell you about the future stars of the global stage, the next headline makers at your club and give you all the information you need to know so you can impress your mates down the pub. You know, when we're all allowed back anyway. Until then, subscribe to The Next Big Thing so you can be ahead of the game. A bit like the footballers we're talking about, really. That's The Next Big Thing from The Athletic, available now on all podcasting platforms or get it ad-free via The Athletic app. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's move on to uh, Manchester City next. Uh, an indifferent start to their Premier League campaign, you could say. Uh, continuing questions over the future of Pep Guardiola. Sam Lee is on the City beat for The Athletic. He joins us now. I suppose when I say continuing questions over Pep Guardiola, that tends to come from us, the media, doesn't it? Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, and it's one of those things. So obviously, so look, his, his contract is up at the end of the season. And again, in terms of media and fans... It's easy for us to sit on the outside and say, oh, this could or has become a distraction. But like mm. within the club, I guess it always depends on the type of player. You know, Kevin De Bruyne, who never seems to be fussed by any of these things. You know, I'm sure he just goes about his business like normal. But there might be other players who think about it a bit more. But it's easy because of how we've seen things develop in the past, to be fair, on the evidence of, you know, managers who have been out of contract or there's been some level of uncertainty generally that's not a good thing and I think the other thing is we've seen that recently with City when Pep was coming in you know they gave yeah. Pellegrini a new contract to kind of end that uncertainty but he was asked about his future every week and then by February he just said look I know you've got a deal with Pep I want to announce it to the players and I want to announce it to the public and then the easy belief was their season tailed off after that in fairness it had tailed off a bit anyway so yeah it's easy it's easy for us to talk about distractions and and problems and all this kind of stuff but um if you just look at Man City at the moment it's obvious that it's something isn't quite there and there's loads of different reasons for it but one of you know Guardiola's contracts May maybe one. I don't think it's the biggest. Just one final one on the co uh, on the contract. I'm guessing he isn't going to see it as a problem because he's in the box seat. What he says in press conferences, like any manager, isn't necessarily reflective of reality. You know, sometimes you know you've got to say things to to put on the front or to protect players or whatever. But um, last Friday he was asked about his future and whether it could distract his players. And he said, "Look, absolutely not." It goes, you know, footballers just go out and want to play football and that's what they're thinking of when they're on the pitch. And to be fair, I think that's probably more or less true. Um, the only issue is probably if they get their heads together during the week and if, you know, if teams end up in a bit of a negative spiral, it doesn't really matter if if the issue's real or perceived. You don't even have to be a footballer to know that. If you're unhappy at work or in a marriage or whatever, mm. every little thing can kind of pick away at you. So and maybe on the pitch, it's not quite the same. But um, yeah, he, he certainly doesn't think it's going to be a problem. And yes, he is in the box seat. You know, if he says he wants to stay... City will 
you know, City will keep him. Almost if they finish 10th this season. If he said he wanted to stay, they would keep him. I'm confident in saying that. If he says he wants to go, they'll try and persuade him to stay. But ultimately, they'll say, yeah, OK, it's, yeah, it's entirely his decision. Is there a feeling within City that something just isn't quite right at the moment, that something isn't clicking? It wouldn't be fair to have me on for five minutes and me not address the fact that they've got a lot of injuries. And look, I know people will say, look, they've got a huge squad. And look, they should. I, I agree. In terms of the 11 they played against West Ham, and not just against West Ham, but you know Leeds, Leicester, about 10 games from last season as well. They've got enough quality and they should have enough quality to win these games and to come up with something that's going to win if they haven't got De Bruyne, if they haven't got Laporte. It is fair to say that at the moment they have got a lot of injuries. Like Aguero is just coming back. Now he's out again. Jesus played the first game of the season, but has missed out. So that's both their number nines. Midfield, they've had all kinds of problems. De Bruyne is injured again. Laporte's been injured again. They've got a bit more cover. But the, the other thing is, a very short preseason because obviously they were in Europe. Um, so I think they had two or three weeks. They had all a a lot of players injured or ill at the start of the season, so they couldn't work on stuff. And th- the game was Saturday. On Sunday, they did a recovery session. Today, they'll do a light session. And in fact, today, they'll fly to Marseille and the game's tomorrow. Like They haven't really actually got time to work on things that aren't working. Mm. It's just, and, and they're not quite fit enough either. So yes, they probably should be doing better than what they are doing in terms of the players they've got. But I would definitely say that, you know, the injuries and the fatigue and... To be honest, the kind of negativity and the problems from last season, I don't think went away. You know, nothing changed in the three months of lockdown. I don't think anything was going to change in the five weeks between them losing against Lyon and starting the season against Wolves. So, yeah, it's just like they they need something to click. And I also think in all of this um, that we sometimes forget that footballers and managers are operating in the same ridiculous world that we're all mm. trying to operate in at the moment and and therefore um, are frustrated by the in the same way that we're frustrated in some of the ways we're having to operate and work and deal with deal with life in general so for a perfectionist as Pep Guardiola for it not to be perfect for a whole variety of reasons mm. one being oh, yeah, the world we're living in is frustrating I mean I you know I get frustrated at, at things that go wrong with my work because of everything that, that's going on and and we sometimes forget that footballers and football managers are no different yeah and obviously like, if you remember Guardiola lost his mom to COVID yes that will surely have an impact and I mean even if we're talking about the players as well you know when I said earlier on about the fans and media and generally whatever happens off the pitch is conditioned by what happens on it you know if a player posts on Instagram that they're on holiday in an international break and their team's in a relegation battle fans don't like it so it's almost like you can do what you want as long as you're winning so Man City players like a night out and it's not been a problem because, and I don't mean, like, you know, there's not like a massive drinking culture, but they're like a night out. Loads of footballers do. And it's like they won 100 points in 17-18. They won 98 points the season after. They won loads of trophies. So it doesn't matter. Um, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all because obviously they still get results. But now, if, you know, if they're frustrated at work, those nights out are gone. And again, no, nobody's going to have uh, much sympathy with a footballer for not being able to go on a night out. But I'm just trying to say it's the same yeah. thing, isn't it? Like we, you know, we're all working from home. We're raising kids at home, homeschooling, that kind of stuff, trying to do our work as well. And then, you know, you, you can't you can't go out and see your mates at the pub because you know, they're not open. Mm. You, you, it's just it's a different life now. So yeah, it's a very good point you raise actually. And those those kind of things at, at City that maybe need to change in the kind of morale around the place, it's just harder because that kind of socialised and that switching off from the game and switching off from life is just much harder to do. So yeah, that's a good point actually. I hadn't really thought of it like that. One of the interesting things you said then when talking about Guardiola's future is that you, that if he if he did decide to go, they'd try and persuade him to stay. Yeah. At the, but at the same time, 
there there would be a dereliction of duty if they weren't looking at other options to replace him. But then that is a very fine line to tread because if if that becomes public, there's uproar. Yeah, although they're very careful, City. You know, for all the meetings they've had, I can remember a few years ago, Cheeky Bagirstein was caught speaking to Ilkay Gundogan's agent. But you'd think the amount of meetings they have, that would happen much more often. Mm. As much as it was quite obvious they were getting Guardiola, there was nothing you could ever really pin down on them. And the other thing is, look, if you want to manage Man City, you don't want to jeopardise it by your agent or you know, somebody close to you leaking it. So you would be very careful, I suppose. I think the biggest issue really is it's fine for them to maybe approach one of the people they've got in mind. And, you know, as, as, as far as we know, as at The Athletic, um, City Sporting Director Cheeky Bagheerstein, who'll be, the, you know, the biggest driving force in the next manager. He believes there's only about six managers in the world who are capable of replacing Pep and, and working for Manchester City. So he's obviously got a good idea of who they are. And through his contacts, like any good sporting director, he'll be able to contact them quite easily. But the issue there is, if he doesn't know, you know, he could go and speak to Julian Nagelsmann or Mauricio Pochettino and say, look, we would like you as the next manager and they go okay great when uh well i don't know can you hold on yeah well, not well not really you know i could go to real madrid i could go to man united maybe i could go to psg that that's the issue really there's the succession planning but less of a problem than it getting out in the public it's just the fact that they can't give these guys a definitive answer so that's that's the thing really we're only five games into the season so it feels a bit difficult to sit here and talk about city as if it's all coming to an end because they're five games in you know once the players are back they might get that click, they might go on a run, and with the season being so unpredictable, they could easily win the league, and it looks stupid. But the thing is, we're five games in, so it feels early, but it's actually not. It's basically November. The season still finishes in May. His contract still finishes in July. So if he doesn't give an answer relatively soon, it might become a problem with the next guy, unless they, for argument's sake, they've already got an agreement with somebody who's happy at his current club, but will you know go, whether it's in six months or 18. But, you know, they'd be very lucky if that were the case, to be honest. Great stuff, Sam. Talk soon. Thank you. Thanks a lot, guys. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And finally, on the pod, let's talk about El Clasico. A Sergio Ramos penalty helping Real Madrid ease the pressure on Zinedine Zidane. Barcelona, meanwhile, continue to be a complete mess. A source close to a senior Barca player has told The Athletic in a piece written by our Spanish football writer Dermot Corrigan, who joins us from Madrid. The only thing I would say, first of all, Dermot, is... Would whoever have lost this then say they were in a complete mess? Yeah, Mark, yeah. Um, it was it was the case that, that one of the teams was going to be in crisis. It hasn't been a great start to to the season for either Madrid or Barcelona. Things are not... General mood around Spain is not good at the moment and around Spanish football is going through a bit of a dip. Uh, so, so lots of murmurings at both clubs and even more than murmurings around Barcelona. So, yeah... Um, you know, whoever won was going to be happy, but whoever lost, it was going to be a difficult afternoon and with repercussions for sure. 
How would you compare the difficulties between both clubs? On the pitch, they're both going through a, a difficult moment, trying to rebuild maybe from the, the fantastic teams that they had maybe four or five years ago. Um, off the pitch, Madrid are much better set than Barcelona. Florentino Perez is in full control uh, as always. And, you know, financially, um, he's managed things a lot better than at Barca, where really it's, you know, it's a complete... Um, mess as as the i was told last week like the president is fighting for is to be able to continue in the job there's a good chance that there'll be a vote a referendum of all barca socios over the next couple of weeks after which he might have to resign he could resign even before that vote is taken you know that that's not impossible as well coleman has come in as coach but he has a very difficult job to do after the 8-2 against barca or against bayern munich during the summer you know we saw what happened with messi with luis suarez you know it's difficult said this a few times but it's difficult to overestimate just how deep that the problems are at barca so madrid it's not great at the moment but compared to that it's it's relatively a a lot more relaxed how is kuman settling in up until the weekend it looked pretty good because he's a he's a big personality kuman you know we've seen through his, his playing career and his coaching career and manager in england as well that he's a guy who's a lot of confidence in himself set out a plan for what he wanted to do how he wanted to set the team up had, had no trouble telling Luis Suarez and, and Vidal and Rakitic people like that that you know we don't want to see around here anymore and had faith in himself to put in the younger players and the first couple of games did very well they beat Unai Emery's Villarreal really well at the camp now they had a player sent off and they beat Celta you know it seemed to be clicking for them but maybe reality has caught up a bit um, you know there's still some deep problems w- within the team the youngsters that they they brought in are not quite as good you know, Anzu Fadi is great but there, there's not enough of them maybe to do it and Messi hasn't scored from open play this season so Kuman is trying to do the best with it the, in a difficult situation maybe has some good ideas but whether it's going to be enough or not is, is going to be difficult to say The feeling still remains then that he is in many ways a, a sacrificial lamb until a new president comes in The feeling is maybe that Kuman, if he does really well this season that he might get to stay because you know everybody thinks that Javi's going to come back and save the day in, in a bit of a way but he's very close to the people in, in Qatar who are going to run the World Cup in 2022 so talking to some people who know him last week as well there's a feeling that you know he might not want to come back immediately that Coman might get another season depending on how things go and it might suit the, the new president as he comes in to to give Coman a chance and then to rebuild a little bit more slowly. I saw a uh... A tweet after the game on Saturday, I can't remember who sent it, so if they listen to this podcast, I, I apologise, that said, if either of these two teams win La Liga this season, it doesn't say a lot for that competition, given the state that the two of them are in. Would you agree with that? It takes a lot for another team that's not Madrid or Barcelona to win La Liga takes a lot. Like Even when Atletico did it in 2014, it was a huge surprise. Like Atletico had come from, from a very difficult position under Simeone a couple of years before in order to win it. And the gap from, from Madrid to Villarreal or even to Sevilla you know, in terms of turnover of the salaries that, that they pay is something like Madrid pay like five times as much as Sevilla. So it, it, for another team to come through and do it is asking a lot. But this season, if anybody's going to do it, it's a great chance because, as I said before, they've, they've fallen a long way from from the peak that they had. You know, it used to be so exciting when it was Pep against Mourinho, peak Messi against peak Ronaldo, Xavi and Iniesta in one midfield, Xavi Alonso in the other midfield. You know, these were the very best teams in the world, probably would have beaten any of the the international teams as well. And it's just not the case anymore. We've seen in Europe, you know, the last couple of seasons, how relatively they've fallen behind. So, you know, Real Sociedad are are doing great at the minute. You know, they're top of the table, but their team's built around a lot of, of 
players who come to their youth system. They wouldn't have spent a huge amount of money. They got David Silva, which is going to be an interesting one to watch, and he's kind of guiding the youngsters at the minute. But it still takes an awful lot to, to come out on top of the big two. Uh, where are Spain at with, with fans in grounds? Because obviously it was empty on Saturday. Uh, yeah, it has been empty, and the situation in Spain is not looking great. Like the, the Prime Minister of Spain called a national state of emergency just yesterday, the day after the Classico. So the, the chances of, of people coming back into to grounds is not very possible. For smaller grounds, for semi-pro football, uh, third tier here, there have been some fans allowed into grounds. You know, we saw Deportivo La Coruña, which is a, a historic name, but they've fallen on hard times. So they're down in, in the kind of semi-pro league. They had fans at the stadiums. But for La Liga, very unlikely. Like, you know, I, as a reporter, I, I can't get to go to the, the La Liga games. I've been to, to Champions League games and hopefully again this week. But the restrictions are just very, very tight. So I don't think so. Dermot, thank you very much. Cheers, Mark. Nice talk. Cheers. Talk to you soon. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. 